Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. We're back here. It is the deflating game, and we have our first contestant. He is a tall glass of Bud Light, and his favorite thing is yelling at a TV screen at a sports bar. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for contestant number one. Yeah, I like cheese. I like beer. And what's your name? My name's Lori. I like this guy a couple of questions for you, you big old man. Yeah, go right. You smell big. Yep, shoot, <laughs> shoot, Lori. Now, these are real questions from the dating game. Okay. Okay. Convince me you're sexy, aggressive, and harmless. <laughs> oh, God almighty. How can you be all three of those? <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, now tell me. When we've been, we've been married for 50 years, yeah. and now we're sitting on a park bench together, and you start getting romantic. How come? <laughs> <laughs> oh baby you know i love how pigeons talk all right can we be done with this hey now tell me one last one what football penalty are you mostly charged with on dates oh my good lord <laughs> that's from the dating game. i'm gonna say pass interference because no pussy is safe when men kisses around or maybe interception i don't know welcome to the last podcast on the left what a horrible position that you just put me in yep. this is why i would never go on a dating game show dare i say it might make some someone a little crazy so you're blaming the dating game well it was, I, it was not the dating game man he was doing i don't know i'm just telling you about my personal experience that i just felt and now i feel like i need to have revenge on everybody because i was put on the spot and i yes i know i came in here to record a show yes i know that my voice is being audio recorded yes. but did i know we were going to peel back the layers of the union to show the soul of the kissel and you barely I don't think did. so you barely did you yeah. know what i mean you 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 got you hit this level of agitation at the yeah. very the the basic yeah. version of dating interrogation. Yeah, how's dating going? Oh, just so nice. So nice. <laughs> All right, everyone, go pack go. Today, we are on to an episode that has been in the minds of everyone for many, many years. And I'm just so happy we waited this long to get to it because this story, evidently, from what I heard, is pretty freaking disgusting. Yes. So we <laughs> shall get into it. The lightheartedness is uh, going to ease up a little bit. We are talking Rodney Elkala. 
Yeah, that's sure. it. All right, thank you. <laughs> what you didn't hear is that Kissel tried to say it three times, but it is difficult. And guess what? Rodney Alcala, Alcala, who gives a fucking who gives shit? A shit? He's dead. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thank God. You have no last name once you're dead. Rodney Alcala was an American serial murderer who provably killed 10 women and children between 1971 and 1979, although his murdering career may have and probably did start much earlier than what we know. This is one of those subterranean serial killers. Because you know how many Hmm. times we've talked about in the past about how, oh, in our minds, a lot of times... Serial killers are fairly obvious coming towards you. Right, right? Richard Chase covered in blood. Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, herky-jerky dancing in the (laughs) club late at night. Like There are things that I think tell a serial killer, like kind of transmit the signal of a serial killer. People get the spidey sense that someone might not be uh, necessarily right. Yes, but Rodney Mm -hmm. Alcala does not have any of those signals. Okay. Now, although Rodney is most often called the dating game killer, owing to his appearance as a contestant on the popular game show in 1978, a more accurate name for Rodney might be the picture killer. Hmm. See, Alcala was not a berserker like Ted Bundy. He was not a sneak up and shoot killer like David Berkowitz, nor was he stumble around and shoot killer (laughs) like David Berkowitz, nor was he a hunt and kill animal like Andre Chikatilo. Instead... Alcala was a wolf in sheep's clothing, using his good looks and charm to lure potential victims, especially the children, with a simple question. Want to see a pretty picture? Again, again and again, how many times have we said throughout the years of last podcast on the left, no one is a photographer. No, no one is. No one is. There is, there's maybe four. Again, if if you just meet somebody who says they are, they're not. No. No. And the pretty picture is just going to be their cock after a rubber band has been tied around it for 10 hours. You'd be like, look at it. It'd be like, it's got a purple in it. It'd be like, thank you for showing me that pretty picture. Does that happen to you? No, but I'm just saying, at no point is the picture actually pretty. We're not showing you an Ann Getty with a baby as a cabbage. (laughs) That's, I feel like that's more predatory than a cabbage. I met a woman randomly and said, you want to see a fun picture? And I pulled a crumpled Ann Dennis picture out of my fucking basketball shorts. If you do it, okay, I understand. Now, as we'll see, Alcala was just as, if not more scary, than a break and inner killer like Richard Ramirez. But since Alcala never admitted to any of the murders and therefore never talked about them, he never quite caught the attention of the media like some of the other famed serial killers did. But that's kind of what makes him scary, right? The lack of showing his ass. Right. Speaking to that point, Alcala honestly seems like the type of guy that's just too scary to talk about. A killer with no real victim type, no age bracket, and no preference on where he commits the murders. In addition to being nomadic and inhumanly brutal. Alcala beat, strangled, raped, molested, and burned. He used his nails, his fists, his hands, and hardware. He ripped, he mangled, he mutilated, and then posed the bodies afterwards in such horrifying ways that they rival the crime scenes of Danny Rowling. And they were made all the more shocking by virtue of being done in public. He's and that true. was actually the intro of the dating game yes. when they brought him out. Isn't that, it was a little cryptic. It was a little cryptic, I thought, but wow. Uh, and, but he's the type of guy, We, Marcus and I, this is maybe uncouth, but Marcus and I mm. talked a little bit during our production call about the concept of some serial killers are in it for an explosive reaction that they get from their crimes and they long to be caught. Like Jeffrey mm. Dahmer. 
Uh, even in his own way, John Wayne Gacy, even though he did his best to hide it, just the, the idea of keeping all of these bodies inside of your own home, eventually you know for a fact, so even if it's deep, deep, compartmentalized deep down, right. someone's going to figure this shit out At one some day. Point, yeah. Right? Yeah. But Rodney Alcala is what you'd call a career killer. He is yes. the type of person, very similar to BTK, that mm. would have gone on to continue to kill for as long as possible. And the way you do that is that you don't talk about your crimes. So unlike other serial killers that we've talked about in the past, about how their numbers are probably exaggerated because right. of they, they talked shit so much after they've been caught, somebody like Rodney Alcala probably has many more victims than the one he was caught with. Wow, that's so mm. much more scary. See, Rodney's only consistent MO was in how he lured his victims to their doom. Alcala was a photographer of some small talent, and using his camera and his charm, he was able to both isolate his victims and lower their inhibitions by appealing to their vanity, all without using any force. Furthermore, Alcala was also operating at the same time and in the same places as some of the most notorious serial killers of the 70s completely by coincidence, which ended up muddling investigations on opposite coasts. Or it's all the lead. What do you mean it's all the lead? The lead poisoning. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's why it's happening all at once. There's so many serial killers yeah. happening at this time period. Yeah. And in the two locations, three locations, he killed people. So Not even three. He probably had dozens of locations uh, because Henry, he was constantly going from New York to L.A. for years. Uh, Henry, I've been eating lead uh, for the last 25 years, and I have never even thought about hurting anyone. Honestly, As a matter of fact, mostly I hang out with dogs. It is really, really <laughs> nice to have you here, Dr. Fauci. I'm trying to figure out another name. <laughs> well, what all this amounts to is that Rodney Alcala's true body count is undoubtedly far, far higher than the 10 that were provable. And after we're done with this series, you might join us in thinking that Alcala may have been one of the most prolific and dangerous serial Oof. killers in American history. He's certainly no Ann Geddes. No, he is not. <laughs> nice uh, nice hair, though. I do have to give him some credit on, on that, I well, suppose. So even when he he's got, got what's-his-name's hair. He's got the guy from Queen's hair. Guy oh, from Freddie Queens. Mercury. No. Ooh. No, Brian May. He's yeah. got the Brian Ooh. May hair. Yeah, he does have Brian May hair, without a doubt. So even when he got Rodney, even when he got to prison, he didn't start bragging. He didn't no, start going. Never. Like he, that is really rare. Okay. Never. Interesting. He was in prison for 50 years and never once even come, came close to copping to any crime. I'm sure we'll get to it, but was it guilt? No. He's the type of person that these crimes are his secrets and also his prizes. The things, mm. the memories that he has are sacred to him. He, we don't like making guys out to be super scary on last podcast on the left, like because the the, uh, the whole idea is that most of the mostly these people are ineffectual dorks. Dumping they can't fucking do anything. Yep. Ronnie Alcala is just one of those, like a Richard Ramirez or a Ted Bunny, who is actually very, very dangerous. It's okay. the type of person that is, you, you can be very easily fooled by because he's tall. He even got by the producers <laughs> of the dating game. But yeah, because he, he viewed it that as private. Okay. His, his murders were, and what he did was for him. It was yeah. what he did. And he does, a, I think that in probably in some way, shape or form, deep inside, he viewed that if you told everybody the details of his crimes, it would sully the sacredness of the act For, to himself. Like a macabre mental uh, inganga, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I think I think the reason why he didn't tell, talk about the crimes ever is I think on some level, there was something in his mind that said, 
maybe I'll get out. Maybe I'll get away with it. Maybe because that's how much killing was a part of his DNA. Because that's really all that mattered to him. The only thing that mattered to him was killing. That's it. Everything Hmm. in his life all informed that urge. Yeah, so, so he's thinking so did like he get even past it's a, at the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I, I think that's why he never talked about it because he okay. thought that maybe, maybe, maybe he can get away with it. All right. But before we get into the story, which is going to get very brutal very quickly, let's acknowledge our source. Today we've got the Dating Game Killer by Stella Sands, which is another well-researched meat and potatoes true crime narrative. Ooh. Now, one of the things that's most baffling about Rodney Alcala is that despite the severity and sheer volume of his crimes, his childhood was bereft of abnormal tragedy or abuse. And in this, he's like Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK, who also seemed to have come out of the womb as a fully formed predator. And stealthily so. Because as a little kid, he didn't do any of the telltale shit that said that he later on he'd live a life of crime. So right. he was kind of this picture perfect little boy, which again, it's it's some form of does it lay in wait or is it always there? Hmm. Yeah. Rodney Alcala was born Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Buqua on August 23rd, 1943 in San Antonio. One child amongst four others. Uh, man, we can't get his head out because of the bow tie. <laughs> uh, my goodness, he was. He changed his last name into something less French. Make this pussy wetter. Oh, my goodness. That's a horrible doctor thing to say. As a youngster, he got good grades. He was well liked and was never reported to have any significant problems whatsoever. The one trauma of his childhood was when his father abandoned the family when Rodney was 12. But that sort of thing has been happening every single day since the concept of family was established. Men have been trying to not have the concept of family for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And the sort of sustained trauma that usually produces a monster like Alcala commonly starts far earlier in the killer's life. Now, after Rodney's father abandoned the family, never to return, the remaining Alcalas moved to Los Angeles. There, Rodney dated, took piano lessons, lettered in cross-country, and joined the yearbook staff, showing no signs that there was a murderous rage bubbling up inside. Yeah, the sign is right there. It's called the yearbook staff. Yeah, dude. Anyone who's (laughs) on on the the yearbook yearbook staff. Yeah, controlling. Okay, there's also, again, 11 people in your class. 11 people in your class. And also, like, all of the pictures. You get everyone's pictures. You get all the insight. You're behind the scenes. You see how the sausage is made. Yearbook. The staff, it gets disgusting. They're so mean, and they're exacting, and they're like i control the the purview of this entire school and the history of this school they choose what pictures are shown they choose how to make fun of you of the school (laughs) why didn't i get a picture of me wrestling in the yearbook Mm -hmm. they didn't want to have all the people rise up against the giant amongst them (laughs) kill the beast very funny i wonder if i'll get passed at the cellar wow (laughs) such great jokes here after high school, Rodney joined the army to become a paratrooper, oh. but ended up serving his time as a clerk, which was something he was quite good at, unlike other serial killers who spent time in the service. Yeah. I actually did a little bit of research into this connection, right? Because we've had many serial killers pop up that have military experience. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there was a draft or something. Yeah, they were kind of forced. <laughs> yeah. but also- mean, a, he's, he joined in uh, the late late 50s, early 60s. Okay. He wasn't drafted. But Not yeah, yet. I mean, it, you got Leonard Lake, you got David Berkowitz, you got um, Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader. And I was looking at this, and they all kind of say the same thing, the studies that we're reading, which, I mean, most of it makes sense, which is the idea of 
disengagement, the concept of you create a uh, a killable human in your mind. Like you basically that's why they have like their targets are just silhouettes of human beings. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. stop you stop thinking of them as people. And that's that's one thing. But I don't think it explains it all because the one you how most people come back from war while they are scarred a lot of the times, they don't come back wanting to kill more and more people. Well, I mean I think you a know. sniper probably has less PTSD than someone who has to work in the clerical I, section. I, I ask oh, a sniper. I got all the paperwork. Oh, Some God. snipers are very happy. Yeah, I'm very scared. <laughs> to ask a sniper um, but the, the one thing that came up that i thought was interesting is they said the one common thread about people that sign up for the military is they said they score low on agreeable meters and i was hmm. like what does that mean yeah what does that mean i don't know what that means that's what they said they apparently they said that people that join the armed forces are on the whole less agreeable but don't and, they have to all agree to get their asses kicked for like 10 years in basic and then go get yelled at all the time i think it takes a highly independent spirit that then gets funneled into hmm. something but it's weird because how does that also like how does that create a serial killer i'm not certain okay. no, it doesn't at, at it all doesn't. not even close because if you look at uh the serial killers that we've covered who have military military service the number of serial killers who saw combat is zero yeah mm. seriously zero like there, there was what i remember there was one uh who was the guy that said that he uh i can't remember which serial killer that like made up a whole bunch of fucking stories he might have been in combat uh but well, it, uh, leonard lake I no, but Leonard Blake wasn't, he wasn't, in, like, most of them worked in, like, radar or fucking clerical shit. Like, Barkowitz mm-hmm. never saw combat, Leonard Lake never saw combat, Dennis Rader never saw combat. No. He was stationed in Japan and actually yeah. spent most of his fucking time stalking Japanese women, mm-hmm. like, off base. So, there was a different kind of training. I yeah. suppose so. All it right. really was. No, that's where Dennis Rader learned it, was stalking yeah, it, women in Japan. The world's fattest ninja. But that's why, <laughs> so, but that, it just, that is the only thing that Rodney Alcala has that you can compare to other serial killers as being like, I guess something ticked him off or something happened. And it happened when he was at the military. It and happened when he was in the military. And we don't when know When Henry why. says that, what he is referring to is, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yes. One and all, thank you for your service. Right from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites. (laughs) 
and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, things started breaking down in 1962 when Rodney was informed that his father had died at the age of 55. Hmm. Even worse, Rodney discovered that the elder Alcala had remarried and started a new family since leaving his first brood. That should show, though, man, if daddy be fucking... Then baby can be fucking. If daddy's fucking at 55, <laughs> there's an old baby. Right? Scene from Boss <laughs> baby I'm I don't baby. know about. I'm the baby, right? Uh, that means when I'm a big baby, when I'm 55, I can still be fucking. Sure, he died at yeah. 55, but yes. Well, about a year later, Alcala arrived at his mother's home unexpected, having gone AWOL from the army. Mm. This was especially surprising because Rodney had been stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and that meant that he'd hitchhiked all the way to Los Angeles. And this is actually kind of creepy because he just shows up just being like, hey, mom, what's up? And you don't, they don't know why he came home. He had no reason. And apparently in the army, what he was just kind of doing where he was just not doing stuff. Yeah. Like, he kind of went through this period of time where they'd go, like, they, I guess at Reveille when you're supposed to go and, and like, meet up with all the other boys mm-hmm. and sit around and everyone gets <laughs> measured for heights and everybody compares shoes. <laughs> sure. What happens, right? <laughs> he was supposed to go and he'd just kind of sit and they'd be like, private, let's go. And he's just, he'd just look at him and just be like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Right. today the day I go or is today the day I sit? Because I think I need some cot time. He needs a little (laughs) cot time. Very Keenan Thompson from SNL. He's just there. He's just there. (laughs) And he's making a paycheck. And that's why we love him. Well, Rodney eventually turned himself in for going AWOL, but he was hospitalized instead of jailed. 
Well, according to his superiors, as Henry said, Rodney had suffered a nervous breakdown in the weeks leading up to his desertion. And upon the routine examination, following this mental breakdown, army psychiatrists discovered some disturbing and surprising things. He eats steak with a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Must be a really nice steak. (laughs) (laughs) Even though Rodney has shown no signs of being anything but stable, as far as we know, he was discharged from the army after being diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, chronic and severe. Do you mm. think he just sat in a chair upside down did like Robin Williams did when he auditioned for Mork and Mindy? Oh, is that what he did? <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, why would he need to cast anybody else? There's an alien right here. Wow. <laughs> Nowadays, you get kicked out for that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> They'd hate that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that, the, I don't know what happened in that interview, because it's really fucked up, right? Because no one talks about him having antisocial disorder, any, any, any fucking blip on the screen. Yeah. Well, let me get into it a little bit. I mean, antisocial, antisocial personality disorder is basically the serial killer's disease. Sure. But, and you know, it's like not all people who have APD are serial killers, but all serial killers have APD to some extent. Isn't that a big old like umbrella term too for like, you're it's pretty nasty. umbrella. Yeah, yeah, like it's one of those, you're mean. He's a mean guy. And so they right. kind of just give you APD. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's characterized by a long-term pattern of disregard for the rights of others with a weak or non-existent conscience <laughs> coupled with the... <laughs> what do you mean, Baron and Ned? That's it. fucking awful. It's rock and roll. Yeah, that's terrible. Good. 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 Yeah. I don't know if that deserves a guitar. I got an antisocial personality disorder. Oh you can see I hold my jacket together with pins. <laughs> I think you are greatly not understanding what we're talking about in a yes, medical sense. So this is not someone in an anti-antisocial sweater or sweatshirt. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. And all this is coupled with the history of impulsive or aggressive behavior. But Rodney hadn't yet exhibited any of the overt symptoms that usually flash a red light for antisocial personality disorder. And this is really what made Rodney Alcala so dangerous. While many serial killers can't help but attract attention towards themselves, even outside of their murders, Alcala, like BTK, could go under the radar. Wow, that's so I mean, he, scary. Yeah, he just de- they they did the tests, which I'm sure like it's I mean it's not the type of test where here's a baby, stab it, yeah. feed it. You know what I mean? Like stab it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not the right answer. Uh, fuck, you only okay. give me two options. Yeah, well, okay, you're gonna get we get, we're gonna give you the question again with okay. the two options. You know for a fact, stab it is the wrong answer. Okay, here's a baby, stab it or feed it. Step, step. Okay. Well, I, I, this I, is, this I is, meant feed it. You feed it. <laughs> okay. You feed it. Here, suck on my tits. No. Suck on my tits, wrong baby. answer. Somehow the right answer, but yet the wrong answer. <laughs> really, the only reason why Alcala ever got caught is that he focused on the victims that garner the most attention in America. Pretty white women and little white girls. Oh, my God. I didn't know all the kids' stuff. Yeah. I really yeah, didn't. Man. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, dude, about to, it, you're it, walking right. chest first into it, my friend. Great, yeah, dude, great. It begins and ends with it. Relatively soon after he was discharged from the army, he would attempt his first murder of the latter. Can I ask, how about one other question before we get into Gold Star territory? (sighs) Do you think that in this meeting, when they had this, they kicked him out for antisocial personality disorder. Do you think it's one of those things that they also could have labeled him with something just so they could kick him out of the army because he was bad at it? Like, is it does it go that far or is there other things that they say? Don't they just want you to stay there and then they punish you a whole bunch and then that's kind of fun for them, too. But if you're like touching guys dicks while they sleep and stuff, a lot of times, unless everybody's doing it one big daisy chain, I think that most of the time they say, like, he's suffering from exhaustion or like something like that. They just put you in jail. 
Yeah, they just put you in jail because he'd gone AWOL by this point. Mm. And it's just, and they just fucking, yeah. That's just, if they think like, oh, you're just not good at it and you ran away, you're going to jail. Really? Like, bar none. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you're We're going to jail. We're talking about some of they, us aren't supposed to be soldiers, man. No, that's yeah. why you didn't volunteer to go. <laughs> also, <laughs> yeah, that's you may you... have not been recruited. <laughs> I, I think that's possible. Um, I'm here to choreograph the summer play. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. And just last point before we really get into the deep dive. Do you think he didn't talk about his crimes because Ted Bundy didn't talk about killing the girl? Do you think it was because it was child related? And if he fucking mentioned he killed children off with his head in prison? No, because we'll okay. get into that. We'll get into that immediately. Why that doesn't hold up. OK. Well, after recovering from his nervous breakdown in his mother's home in Monterey Park, California, Alcala returned to his old, charming self and was accepted to California State University, where he graduated with a bachelor's in fine art focusing on photography in 1968. Cal State's not fucking around, too. Cal State's a legit that's the Legit thing about school. Rodney Al- Rodney Alcala is also a lethally intelligent person. Mm. Like his his IQ, the I mean I know IQ is like whatever, but still his IQ was 140 uh, yeah. when he took the test at Cal State. He's okay. highly intelligent. The next fall, motivated by some mysterious reasoning, Rodney Alcala tried killing for the first time. But like I said, since Alcala has never admitted to any murders, he might have been killing long before this one. This is just the first one that he got caught on. The nature of the crime, it does sound like someone already in mid-escalation. Okay. On a nice day in September, Rodney Alcala oh, was yeah, driving... Oh, yeah, here. Gold star warning. Ling, oh. ling, 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 ling. Oh, gold star that's warning. Me, that's me jingling a gold star at you like you're a dog. Bark, <laughs> <laughs> bark, up, okay. up. Gold oh, star, right. up. Yeah. Be and warned. A, and this is the first of three in this episode. Okay. Let's just go ahead and say this is a gold star episode. You just said just from now on. This is just a this is just a full on gold star episode. Okay. On a nice day in September, Rodney Alcala was driving his car down Sunset Boulevard when he noticed an eight year old girl skipping down the sidewalk. He pulled over, stuck his head out the window, and learned that the little girl's name was Tolly Shapiro. Using the oldest trick in the book, Alcala offered her a ride to school, saying that he was a friend of her parents. Uh oh. Now, this didn't convince Tally, but when Alcala said he had a pretty picture to show her, she hopped in the car. Now, the only thing that saved Tolly Shapiro's life was that a good Samaritan named Donald Haynes was also driving along Sunset Boulevard and saw that a man was obviously trying to convince a little girl to get into his car. And what's weird is that she was staying at the Chateau Marmont, which also has like a history of weird shit going on. So this whole this whole area is like vaguely shady as it is. Wow. Yeah. After she got in and they drove off, Donald tailed them to Alcala's apartment on DeLong Pre Avenue, where he watched them both walk inside. And sensing that all of this was very wrong, he called the police and told them the whole story. Asking, hey, can you just check on this so I can fucking sleep tonight? What do you mean? And ruin that little girl's audition? This is Hollywood. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Unfortunately, though, the LAPD doesn't exactly jump on situations that only have the possibility of being bad. So when the cops showed up knocking on Rodney's door, some time had passed. Upon hearing the loud banging, Alcala popped his head out the window and told Officer Chris Camacho to give him a second because he'd just gotten out of the shower. When Rodney didn't open the door, and when he stopped communicating altogether, Officer Camacho broke inside. And immediately, Camacho saw that there were piles of lewd photographs of young girls 
all over the room, and a fresh trail of blood was leading from the living room to the kitchen. When Camacho ran to see where it led, he found Tolly, naked in a pool of her own blood. In the time between their arrival and Officer Camacho's, Alcala had strangled, beat, raped, and bashed in the skull of Tolly Shapiro. Finally, he'd lain a heavy metal bar across her neck as the slow instrument of death. Because oh presumably, Alcala was watching her slowly choke to death when Officer Camacho showed up. This is what I'm talking about with an Jesus. escalated approach. If this is wasn't his first crime, he thought about this for a long time because what he well, knows. Yeah, what, you're right. He seems mid game here. Yes, and also the pictures because he already had hundreds oh. of pictures. So he's already been. Were these pictures testing. he took, or were these published yeah, pictures? pictures he his pictures. Oh my Always God. pictures he took. Oh yes. lord. And so we now know that this is not the. the uh, this is definitely. I mean, in my mind, not the first time. Right. Yeah, me but, too. I think so too. But he's very similar to BTK, which I think is what makes him hyper dangerous because this is the thing is that he does not kill quickly it is a long progressed period and he does the choke and release choke and release over like and over again. yes well, instinctively camacho removed the bar from tolly's neck and checked her pulse only to find that she was still alive but just barely alcala however had run out the back and was long gone yeah because he had to make a choice he saw the guy jumping. He basically saw him jump out the back window. And he's like, I could either get this girl out of this mm -hmm. apartment or I could go after the guy. Yeah, yeah he, chose, he, chose to, he, chose, he chose correctly. Save yeah. the little girl's life. Of course. And then Rodney had the very difficult decision of like, do I leave or do I stay with all my pictures? My pictures. Oh, man, my pictures. I <laughs> yeah, it's back in the day. There's no iCloud. There's no cloud. <laughs> oh, my God. What a horrible scene. Natalia eventually regained consciousness, but after she relearned how to walk, oh my her family quit their jobs and moved to Mexico, while Tali, mercifully, still maintains that she remembers none of what happened after arriving at Alcala's apartment. And oh. she'll talk about it. She's been on documentaries. Like, there's a Rodney Alcala documentary that I think CBS did that she yes. talks about She just the started talking experience. about it because she didn't yeah. talk about it for years. Poor girl. Because he goes, we'll see. Rodney Alcala had a hard time staying in jail. Yep. Uh, yeah, because okay. I'm like, this is all before the dating game, right? Oh, way before. Okay, way again, before. producers out there, just triple check. Make sure every <laughs> contestant has never killed their girl. We'll find out. Dude, this Sometimes is... that's, the, that's the pull. Have you seen <laughs> F-Boy Island? <laughs> Dude, this was a decade before the dating game. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, concerning Alcala. After fleeing the scene, it became evident that he could no longer stay in Los Angeles, at least for the time being. So, as was possible in 1968, he moved across the country to New York City, where he applied and was accepted to NYU under the false name of John Berger. Man, I couldn't even get a pass to go visit NYU. Also, for being a, <laughs> a supposed high intellectual, John Berger... Oh, I yeah. mean, Johnny, is, Johnny Burger. Hey, my Johnny name is, My name is John Burger. John Fish Taco. No, Johnny Guacamole. Johnny Guacamole. He is a creative. Welcome to NYU. Lady Gaga killed her roommate. Right. Stop with your fucking act. Between that and the Tom Cruise fish fucking, I think you have a lot of lot of opinions up there, Mister Zabrowski. She definitely is. She's a dangerous woman. Incredible artist. Great. 
From 1968 to 1971, Alcala attended classes, worked as a security guard to pay his tuition, reportedly worked well in group film projects, and in his first brush with an infamous killing, took classes taught by Roman Polanski just before Sharon Tate was murdered. I oh, wonder man, what they, they talked about. Yeah, they could go out and <laughs> troll for the same girls. Yeah, that's so weird. Because you can almost see the friendship happening where they both grab for the same 12-year-old girl and they look at each other like, <laughs> Roman, oh, Roman, oh, Rodney. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I was going to uh, harm um, that young, innocent person and you want to harm him too. Oh, hey, 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 stop calling me Rodney. The name's Johnny Burger. Oh, I'm sorry, Johnny Burger. Johnny Burger, of course. And my name is Roman... Burrito! I don't know! <laughs> Keep it Polish! Okay! <laughs> Roman pierogi sounds yes, like he yes. produces more. <laughs> Welcome to Roman pierogi! <laughs> Bend over at the waist, please. Oh. <laughs> well, every summer starting in 1969, though, Alcala worked as a counselor at a drama and arts camp for girls in oh, New no. Hampshire. Oh. Right no, 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 was, no, no, no. Right hey, dude, it. nothing happened. There, he was known as the most popular counselor to all the girls and was considered to be a natural-born, even brilliant teacher by all his bosses. He taught there for three years. Can I say my belief system is, is that he did that as training? Mm. I think that For, he is, to speak to people, he did it as human training. Mm, yeah. I think that sure. he wanted yeah. to put himself, and because how many times these guys talk about this? It's a self-challenge where they yeah. go in and like guys who lead double lives for a long time, like BTK. I can guarantee it's very similar with the BTK story where his he gets off on hiding in right. plain sight. It's a part of an extended fantasy. Yeah. And I think it's also he's trying to graduate because his game really is to lure people in using nonviolent means. That's that's part of the jolt is tricking people. And it's one thing to trick he's a child. He's also a pussy. He's, he's a pussy, so he can't fucking confront somebody. For, he wants to trick you so that he can get you the, in, with the least amount of hassle. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to trick a child and another thing altogether to trick an adult. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out how do you trick adults, like or at least older girls. You know, these are all like late teenagers. But in 1971, Alcala returned to his murderous ways. Or perhaps a more appropriate thing to say is that 1971 is the first time that Rodney can be linked to a murder. And while we don't know exactly how it went down, we can extrapolate from other murders to recreate a possible timeline. See, Rodney Alcala, going as John Berger, was known during his time in New York City as a guy who approached women on the street and offered to photograph them, sometimes then and there, and sometimes at a second, more private location. Never go to a second, second location. location. Don't you, you know, go to a second location. <laughs> we, talk about, uh, we talk about privilege a lot in this country, and, hmm. and, and rightfully so talk in about many tall ways. privilege. That's I'm what this is about. about <laughs> handsome privilege, because if... Any of us go up, take a picture of you. Uh, no, no, but like the fact that he. I take a picture for you for my grandpa. Five dollars, five dollars. <laughs> Give him five dollars. Give him five dollars or I'll it's make him take a picture, picture of you. Five dollars. It's a good picture. Yeah, but the fact. Oh, yes. It's a good picture. The fact he looked like someone who could take a picture of you and make. what The fact that was like a plausible thing for someone to be like, yeah, yeah sure. You seem like the kind of guy I would like to have a picture taken from. It's very unique. That's how mm -hmm. it is. Yes. That's how it is. Handsome guys are not to be trusted. Yeah. Now, most likely, this is how Alcala approached TWA flight attendant Cornelia Criley. And this is all based 
on the massive amount of photos of women that were in just this situation that were later found in Alcala's storage locker in Seattle. That's what points us again towards he's done this many, 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 many times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after Rodney disarmed Cornelia and made her feel comfortable, he probably offered to take more photos in a private location. And in this case, that location was Cornelia's apartment. Hmm. And then from there, he went on to fund and start American Apparel. <laughs> Coming in hot deep cut. Deep cut. Boy, that's brought, a, that is a deep yeah, cut. Yeah. Deep it really cut. is. Brought back <laughs> bush hair. Yeah. Okay. Remember that? Yeah, yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. Well, probably thinking him charming and maybe good looking, like a lot of women did when they met Rodney, she invited him up to her apartment. And we know that she invited him because there was no sign of forced entry. And Rodney, as far as we know, never coerced potential victims with the threat of violence. Once there, Rodney most likely did take some pictures of her. But eventually, Cornelia began to either slowly or quickly realize that she'd made a mistake inviting this stranger into her home. When Cornelia's body was found days later, her face had been severely beaten, Deep bite marks were found on her breast. She'd been sexually molested. A stocking was tied around her neck and her bra had been stuffed in her mouth. Jesus. By the time the garment was removed from her mouth by investigators, rigor mortis had set in, which fixed her mouth in a permanent, terrified howl. And since no one had seen Cornelia with Rodney, and since forensics were comparatively primitive in 1972, Mm -hmm. cops never even came close to the man who was bopping around New York under the name of John Berger. And as a result, Alcala wasn't linked to the crime until 2011. Wow. When DNA from saliva samples taken from the bite marks put Rodney in the room. A lot of his a lot <sighs> of his crimes are going to be. We'll even talk about this at the end of the next episode when we do the second episode. Is that there are databases of the pictures that he put out, much mm. like they did with Samuel Little, because again, they're still piecing together how many people he might have murdered. Mm. Now, detectives in Los Angeles had not forgotten the attempted murder of Tali Shapiro, and they'd spent three years trying to track down Rodney Alcala. Finally, they convinced the FBI to add their suspect to the top 10 most wanted list. Wow. Luckily for the cops, two girls attending the summer camp where Rodney was celebrating his third year saw the wanted poster in a post office. Yeah. And and immediately recognized the man they knew as Mr. Berger as fugitive child rapist and attempted murderer Rodney Alcala. They're like the first ever true crime fans in the wild, like the first web <laughs> yeah. sleuths, because it was apparently the two girls went and they were like, let's go. They wanted to scare each other with the top 10 wanted list. So they're just yeah. like, let's go look at the papers and see all the criminals. Let's go look. Oh my God. Red wine. Oh my God. It's amazing. <laughs> and they go in there and be like, mm, I'm going to love carbs and murderers. And then, then they looked at these fucking all of the, the, the lists and they're like, that's Mr. Burgers. Dude, that is like such, that is, if it wasn't so disgusting, it's kind of the beginning of the new Goonies or a Steven Spielberg film. Like it's so, that, yeah. Oh, you know, as a kid, yep. don't you always think, because of Goosebumps, R.L. Stein, you always think your teacher is a zombie or something. But oh, then no, you they, find out they're, they're a child rapist. You know, <laughs> that's a, that was a rough I mean, Goosebumps. that's where you get your fronts together. That's no, this where is you a, get your friends together. This is, this, is a, this is a summer camp version of the Burbs. Yeah. Sure. But very yeah, real. yeah. But the burps was lighter there almost. There was some levity to it. <laughs> yeah. There was some levity. Yeah. I like that Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks wasn't in this. 
Well, these girls called the cops, and within a short period of time, Alcala was arrested, and his fingerprints were matched to the crime scene in his apartment back in Los Angeles. But when it came time for the trial, Tali Shapiro's family, somewhat understandably, refused to return to Los Angeles to testify. This is one of those constant things but, that pop up with kids that are the victims of these types of crimes because the parents were like, they didn't want her to relive her trauma. Is, there has to be another way. Well, that's the thing. I guess the prosecutor here just couldn't fucking be bothered because they went for what? the sure thing and arranged a piddling plea deal. And this sounds like extraordinarily lazy prosecuting because fucking remember, Officer Camacho saw Alcala in the apartment just before he discovered the crime scene. And that's not even to mention the fact that it was Rodney Alcala's apartment. Sir, Mr. Alcala. Alcala, whatever it is, sir. Uh, you've it's been Alcala! Sure. You've been sentenced to 15 years of reality television. No! Yes. No! Yes. I will. Oh, God, they're looking at my social media. <laughs> and also, Donald, you know, the, the guy that called the cops in the first place, he yeah. could identify Rodney Alcala. He saw him take this little girl into an apartment. Oh, God. But, yeah, but where, where was he? Did they not call him? Did Lazy fucking prosecuting, man. Oh yeah, this is what I'm telling you. Take it. I just They're feel like this is one of those that you do prosecute. It's yeah. hard because they, I, no, it's not hard. This is a total fuck up. Okay. Yeah, this is an extremely large fuck up. Alcala was allowed to dodge the attempted murder charge and instead pled guilty to child molestation, which garnered an indeterminate sentence of one to ten years. Now, uh. what indeterminate meant was that the parole board who had no real understanding of the full scope of the crime they could declare the criminal rehabilitated and set him loose whenever they fucking felt like it and while this might work just fine for say you know kid who makes a mistake sure. it was a fucking terrible idea for someone like rodney alcala and there was, was there a, no registry at this point for sexual predators uh was when he got out were they just gone uh, it's weird we talk about it all the time natalie and i talk there about was. all the time about how like there was okay the there was. back in the day it was just like <sighs> child molesting was like not that big of a crime for some reason there was like they didn't yeah. really look at it as very seriously i think because there was a prevailing i'm just idea catholic that kids, basically <laughs> i mean seriously <laughs> but like, like the, the cuomo defense i'm just italian i'm italian <laughs> look how long my lap is look you tell this. me i'm not supposed to fill this with kids oh my god but like it is strange where you you wonder like because they just didn't take the crime very seriously uh, I, I wonder if it has the idea that it has to do with the idea that kids they feel like they won't remember shit or that they're less than people because uh, they're not an adult yet. They can't go to war yet and die for the country. Maybe. And, and I th <sighs> but I think it was also with a lot of people like child molestation used to be a lot more prevalent than it is now. A lot of well, people I mean, I seriously know, did. A lot of people seriously did say, like, I was molested and look at me. I'm fine. And don't forget, not. don't forget truly shame. Oh, yeah. yes. It was the same thing with people who were raped. The victimhood that comes after the victimhood, they just sh sh keep it under the rug. That's probably why Tally's parents didn't go. Oh, yeah, because you keep bringing it up because she said it's it a family shame. It's an embarrassment. It was totally ass backwards. She specifically yeah. said they acted like it didn't happen. Well, they that's, just, yeah. that's she got gonna, home uh, and then they acted like it didn't happen. And then hmm. they just tried to move forward. Yeah, with sure, her that's probably not going to help you move forward. Yeah, I got to nope. deal with it. By August of 1974, just a little over two years past sentencing. A prison psychiatrist declared that Rodney Alcala was, quote, considerably improved. 
Yeah, but, he, you know, it started with him raping and almost murdering a girl, so considerably improved still is not really good. Listen, I haven't <laughs> bought candy in a year. Yeah? Uh, and you know what candy does. I know. <laughs> Which is considerably improved from the days when you used to order Chinese food and they'd send you four sets of utensils. And see? now I'm down to three. It's like not, it's still not good, you see. Do you think they assume the fourth member of the family just died of diabetes? No, I think that they assume that it's just one person that are trying to be nice. <laughs> from your grave. Move on! Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs in a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. 
And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster. Because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. That's Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right. I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right. My job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, after the prison psychiatrist said he was considerably improved, Rodney Alcala was released and required to register as a sex offender in Monterey Park, California, where he moved back in with his mother. Within, and that's what I mean by, you know, earlier when you asked, like, you know, is he just trying to hide uh, the, you know, is he just trying to hide the, the crime? No, he went to prison as a child molester okay, for okay. two years. Within months of his release, Rodney, not surprisingly, tried killing again in much the same way he tried to kill Tali Shapiro. This time, Rodney was cruising Huntington Beach in a station wagon when he spotted a 13-year-old girl waiting for her school bus. Again, Alcala asked her if she wanted to see a pretty picture. And again, the girl, known only as Julie, she climbed into the car under the promise that Rodney would just be giving her a ride to school. This is where today's generation, maybe they are more safe. They'd be like, no, I don't want to see a fucking picture. I've got I a see whole pictures full. all fucking day. I see day. pictures <laughs> all fucking day. <laughs> but this time, Rodney went by the name of John Rold. Or maybe it's Roald. It's either Roald. way. It's a, it's a it's fucking like Roald Dahl. Ah. Mm, classy. And when he drove past Julie's school without slowing down, she started yelling and tried jumping out of the moving vehicle. Rodney, in response, grabbed her and held her until they reached a secluded location near some cliffs off the Pacific Coast Highway. After stopping, he forced her to walk with him until they reached a private location, and there he made her smoke a joint before embarking on the beginnings of a rape and possible murder. Thankfully, though, before things got deadly or even violent, an angel of a park ranger showed up investigating the weed smell. Oh, man, technically, I would be mad about this if he didn't stop a fucking rape and murder. You know what I mean? <laughs> get down, he's just smoking weed in the park. Where else are you supposed to smoke weed? I am just a park ranger bear. And, oh, I smell marijuana. Oh, oh my God, my God it's there's a, something far worse it's going It's a on. fucking bear with a hat <laughs> on. I'm sorry. You're going to have to let that young girl go. Give me that joint. <laughs> Rodney tried lying by saying it's her that, weed. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you see, he's saying they were just taking a break from a hike. Yeah, I always smoke a joint with a 12-year-old in the park. <laughs> I mean, but Julie yelled that she'd been forced there and wanted to go home. And not knowing what to do, the ranger just arrested both of them because of the weed. Wait a second, we just got fucking handcuffs? What does he do for, for arrested moose? What does a park ranger have handcuffs for? Well, for people I've smoking weed. Handcuffs for but smoking. you're a bear. You should be able to just frighten people no. by your presence alone. <laughs> no, I've got a series of handcuffs. I'll put the big handcuffs on the big man, and I'll put the little handcuffs on the girl. I just feel like what they're like made out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie was let go immediately. But after doing a background check, it was found that Alcala uh. was out on parole for child molestation. Okay, mm. time to put him back in the clink. Charged with sale of marijuana and kidnapping. And he was sent back to prison. Probably for the marijuana charge, mostly. Honestly. Actually, it probably was. Uh, He was out within a couple years. Declared reformed. He's reformed again. Again, yeah. Again, even though though he kidnapped a young girl three months after being uh, let out of prison. No, this time. But this time, though. Your Honor, I'm going to say, number one, honestly, you're right. Number two, I will never smoke weed again. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the problem. You're right. Weed for me is over. (laughs) Totally reformed. Now, to give you an idea just how charming Rodney Alcala could be, he convinced his parole officer to give him permission to roam the country freely, despite the fact that Rodney had tried killing one little girl and had kidnapped another months after being released. Listen, I talked to Rodney. He's got it out of his system. <laughs> All right? He's done with it. Oh, my I, God. Listen to me. L- listen, you know for a fact. Look at me. You look at me. You look, if, you, if you could see a, a little fuel gauge on me that had child molesting juice in it, uh-huh. you'd see it's that empty. It's that empty. Great. Why don't you roam free? <laughs> Once the okay was given, Alcala went to San Francisco, where he met Pamela Lamson at Fisherman's Wharf. All we know is that they left together and Pamela's mutilated body was found on a Marin County hiking trail soon after. Oh, my God. After that murder, Rodney left California with the blessing of his parole officer and returned to New York City in July of 1977, just a month before David Berkowitz was arrested for the Son of Sam murders. Son of Sam's in full swing right now. Wow. On July 13th, The day of the historic 1977 blackout, Alcala approached a socialite named Ellen Hoover, who just happened to be the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. This woman was fucking connected. Wow. Well, from what friends later said, Ellen Hoover found this photographer going by the name of John Berger again to be charming and flirty. And after he pressured her into a lunch date, she accepted. Ellen Hoover disappeared completely on the day of the date, and no one would know what happened to her for almost a year. Now, the only reason why we know that this is one of Rodney's was because Ellen had the name John Berger written in her appointment book on the day she disappeared. Interestingly, though, it was thought at the time that Ellen might have been another Son of Sam victim because she had long, dark hair, and they still didn't really know anything about the actual killer himself. No. But while the NYPD had the serial killer part right, the investigation wouldn't zero in on Alcala for a very long time. Mm. Damn. But even while the cops tried to track down the mysterious Mr. Berger, Alcala had already left New York City to escape the heat of a high-profile victim. 
and he was on his way back across the country to Los Angeles when he claimed another victim. Oh yeah, God. you get out of my town. Okay, you're Google. You <laughs> don't even come back here. All right, yeah, you go back to Los Angeles with your short shorts. This is New York City, baby. And it's not a... <coughs> oh, it's a, fun, a, a single change in season, and I could barely, barely move. Yes, the, and the allergies that are going through my body right now, yeah. it's like, oh, it's like Stalingrad or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a very suffering. appropriate thing to say, yeah. They could have just caught Berkowitz by laying a bunch of hamburgers out and directing them towards the police precinct. And be like, oh, so innocent hamburgers. <laughs> Oh, yeah, look at you. Oh, it's a treasure for me. Oh, they say one man's burgers is another man's burgers. Okay. Oh, I've been called by the police. Oh. I can name this thing. Oh, man, we got another one. 28-year-old Christine Thornton was six months pregnant and had just left her boyfriend when she crossed Rodney's path in Wyoming. A picture of Christine Uh-oh. looking happy and comfortable was found in Rodney's storage locker years later Hmm. and rodney most likely killed her moments after the picture was taken it's also interesting that his storage locker was in seattle which is the other serial killer capital of the world i actually just saw this i didn't know that actually more serial killers came out of seattle than any other city in the 1970s wow from thornton's dead body he took earrings Earrings would become Rodney's favorite trophy to take from victims. And when that fucking storage locker was discovered after his arrest, investigators found a bag containing a disturbing number of them. Wow. Once back in Los Angeles, though, Rodney walked into the offices of the Los Angeles Times and brazenly applied for a typesetter position under his real name, which by this time was attached to two serious crimes against children. Exactly what we're looking for. We've been looking for a pedophile all week. (laughs) LA Times. But despite having been on the top 10 most wanted list, and despite his conviction for child molestation, and despite his parole violations Mm -hmm. for making a little girl smoke weed after he kidnapped her, Mm -hmm. and despite being registered as a sex offender... Rodney got the job. I'm starting but, to think these journalists don't do a lot of research. You know, man, when it comes <laughs> or at down least the to the hiring it, practices are pretty. Uh, the hiring practices of the Los Angeles said not back, no background checks. HR is more militant than the U.S. military. The fact he got through <laughs> HR. This is back before HR. I don't know what you'd call this, but also when it comes down to it, taking a picture is hard, guys. And no, finding no, somebody, it's, it's so hard. And it's so hard to find somebody that could take a picture where everybody stays in a picture. It was in 1760 where you got one shot at it. I don't know. Well, he wasn't know. Uh, he wasn't hired as a photographer. He was hired as a typesetter. I mean, he was kind of he was a little bit gruntier. Yeah, that's than, where he like, put the staff pedophiles. photographer. Oh if you're going to put him God. somewhere, that's where he put him. The janitors, you yeah. know what I mean? That's where he well, put him. Well, I think they like to pepper him through a little bit in the executive branch, a little bit through the uh While Alcala was known around the office mostly as a charming, hardworking individual who casually shared stories about running into famous people in Greenwich Village, and he was able to do so in a way that made him appear cool instead of desperate. Ooh. Very good at name dropping. Yeah, so this one time I was taking a piss in a bush, and you wouldn't believe it, I was pissing on a very fancy shoe. Wouldn't you believe it was the incredible Richard Burton? Wow. (laughs) Yes, yes, Richard Burton was there, and I was peeing on him, and I couldn't have been more great. Well, what another great story from the weird guy in the basement. (laughs) But there was another side to Rodney Alcala at the Los Angeles Times. This wasn't even something that was going on outside of work. This was in the office. This behavior was written off insanely as... Oh, he's just an avant-garde person. Rodney would show off his portfolio of photographs to co-workers. And that portfolio 
was full of pictures of naked little girls. Again, just imagine he looked like Milton from Office Space. And he is reported (laughs) immediately. See my collection of my frozen angels. (laughs) I can't believe it. So everyone was just looking at these pictures like, that's a very artistic picture of pedophilia there. Thank you, Rodney. This is fun. Well, I mean, it's a thing. Rodney Alcala was a good photographer. If you look at his pictures, yeah, but there's it matters talent. what you're taking pictures of, doesn't it? This is an incredible picture of, of this <laughs> naked girl's body. <laughs> well, well, that's first of all. Second of all, he's telling his coworkers, "I took these pictures at the request of the kids' parents." <laughs> And for some reason, everybody's just too worried about yeah. looking unhip to say, dude, this is fucked up. So we were going to do our family portrait of JCPenney's, but I really wanted to see Wendy naked, right? That's my nine-year-old daughter. And I was like, why can't I find the right And I told him at JCPenney. I told him at JCPenney, we're trying to do something nude here. They wouldn't do it, so we had to go to Akala Photography. I thought this was JCPenney, yeah. and we were going to do it nice. Oh, my God. I got my balls out. No dick. No dick. Why wow. is this such a fucking problem? You're going to want to go to Sears for that. Mm-hmm. Well, he did it in such a way where it, like, looks arty. Like, they're not, like, dark fucking... They're not dark yeah, they're not, uh, Polaroids, like, in a room with a single light bulb hanging above it. Yeah, you give it. them, like, a beach ball. And then you, <laughs> like, honestly, you give them, like, you put... Ha, I, I mean, don't even you know can what put, you do. You can put fucking hat on a piece of shit, and you can, like, <laughs> look at this very nice picture of a cowboy, and be like, no, that's still a piece of shit. And then these kids... That's obviously pedophilia. Do you remember okay. the difference between Red Shoe Diaries and Hot Springs Hotel? It's that. <laughs> It's one diaphanous red sheet. Well, Red Shoe had a mystery attached to it there. Yeah, there was more plot. Yeah, of course. And Shannon well, Tweed. Thank you, Shannon. Well, upon further reflection, those same people who just awkwardly smiled and nodded at these pictures, they later acknowledged that they were looking at homemade child pornography, not only in full public view, but in the workplace. Another victim of cancel culture. <laughs> Cannot believe it. I just, Where we're at in this call. This country's gotten away from us, man. Being cool doesn't really matter, just so everybody knows out no, there. Yeah, so if you cool. see child abuse happening, trust me, it ages poorly, no matter yeah. what the social situation might be now. Yeah. Well, it's around this time, though, that Rodney Alcala escalated from simple murder to fully posing the bodies of the victims he'd killed. But unlike Danny Rowling, who posed his victims in their own homes to shock the cops when they discovered the bodies, Rodney posed the victims in public to shock and traumatize anyone who oh happened upon God. the gruesome scenes. Uh, like the Times Square? Like in the middle of a town center? No, uh, mostly hiking trails. Uh, oh, some, he made it we'll so get you'd it, find like, it. It was Another definitely- reason not to hike. Thank you. <laughs> this show has really helped wow. me not exercise. It really well, is. That's, yeah, that's not the only place. There are, like, we'll, we'll get to another one later. But, yeah, I mean, places where it's going to be found and where it's going to be found soon. In early November 1977, Alcala lured and killed 17-year-old Jill Barkham, who just moved to Los Angeles from Oneida, New York, Aww. to follow her dreams like so many others who met a gruesome end in the City of Angels. Damn. Yeah, man. Headshots, man. It's just so sad. Again, all we have is how the body was found and what the coroner's report said. But from those sources, we know that Jill Barkham went through a terrible torture before Mm. she was posed near a service road off Mulholland Drive. And this, by the way, this is definite, definite gold star. I'm thinking they should just rename Mulholland Drive. It seems like the term is cursed. That's what's fun about it. (laughs) Oh, God. Rigor mortis had set in by the time Jill Barkham was found on all fours. 
with her knees bent and pointing outward. The top of her head was touching the ground to balance the body in its ghastly position, and her face was tucked so tightly against her chest that it appeared as if her neck was broken. She was naked from the waist down, and blood had pooled in the dirt below the body from the massive anal wounds suffered when Rodney raped her. Her face had been beaten, a ligature had been used to strangle her, a bite had nearly severed the nipple from her right breast, and her pubic hair was singed. But despite the elaborate nature of the torture, Rodney Alcala had killed Jill Barkham by caving in her skull with a rock. Oh my god. She had been alive for every bit of the torture leading up to that. And since there were no barefoot prints in the dirt, cops knew that the murder had taken place elsewhere. As far as leads went, there was plenty of DNA evidence, but again, this was 1977. Cops interviewed surrounding neighbors, including Marlon Brando, of all people. Oh, yeah, because he, he happened like right next to his house. Yeah. Jesus criminy. But for the well, most part... have possibly been there. Um, I would never kill a woman just the way. Honestly, if I was going to kill a woman, I'd probably, to be honest, if I wasn't going to do it, I'd drown in my pool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, only just because that's, that's why I got the yeah. pool. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to say that a lot. It's not why I got the pool. Wink, wink, yeah. wink, wink, wink. I'm an actor. I'm happy All right, I say fun things. Yeah, I'm happy you took this opportunity to do your Marlon Brando impression. This is the time. Really, this is the time. This it's is really the good. Time. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a yeah, good one. As, really as far good. as Marlon Brando impression, it's, it's, it's solid. Well, yeah. I love milk. <laughs> I know you do, Marlon. I know you do. For the most part, the cops were fucking stumped. Now, this time, Rodney Alcala had dropped a body right into the middle of the Hillside Strangler investigation. Oh, my yes. God. And in an amazing coincidence, Jill Barkham actually knew Judith Miller, who had been killed by Angelo Buono and Kennifer Bianchi less than two weeks earlier. I actually Can don't we just, think is anybody safe? No, <laughs> not I 1977, man. No, 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 not not this year. Um, but I do believe, in my own mind, if what we know about serial killers holds to be true about other serial killers, he knew about the Hillside Strangler crimes yeah. and it was following them. Like he was probably following the Son of Sam crimes when he went to New York. And he positioned the body specifically so that it could possibly get lumped in with the Hillside Stranglers. We now so know that he has his own M.O., but I do believe that, like, he was playing a bunch of different angles at right. once. So he's yeah. a copycat killer, but not in a traditional sense. Somewhat. I, I don't think he would. I don't think he really thought about Son of Sam. I think he enjoyed going to a city where there where fear was ruling. Um, I don't think he had, I think that would just happen to be like, I'll go to New York. I know I can kill people there with the Hillside Stranglers though. I think he was trying to top them. Uh. I, I, I think he, what he, cause what he did uh, and the way he left bodies and posed them far worse than anything that the Hillside Stranglers just fucking dumped the bodies. Yeah. And he's trying to take things to the next level. He's trying oh. to top them because he's playing a game the whole time. It's all of the posing. It's the same thing with Danny Rawling. It's just about of leaving a message after the fact so other people are traumatized. And just mm -hmm. hear the song, anything you can do, I can do better. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, that's it's not scary. what this song's about. It's scary. It's going to be slowed down for a trailer soon, so don't say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Now, by this point, the walls were starting to close in a little on Rodney Alcala, but he still managed to talk his way out of it. NYPD investigators had finally discovered that John Berger, whose name had been in Ellen Hover's diary on the day of her disappearance, was the alias of Rodney Alcala, All convicted right. child rapist. Gotcha. 
And it didn't take him. I mean, not a, a, not that long, especially considered how like the LA, the NYPD had just wrapped up the Son of Sam murders. They're still deal. They're still dealing with thousands of murders every year in New York City. So they're getting around to it. Yeah, because you know? actually, when the Son of Sam murders are finally wrapped up, they're like, "There we go. That's six of them handled." <laughs> oh fuck! Oh shoot! Gosh darn it! So they asked the LAPD to bring in Rodney Alcala for questioning and a lie detector test. But since Rodney refused the test, as was his right, and since cops had nothing linking him to Ellen Hover besides a name and a diary, they were forced to let him go. They had nothing. And and they didn't even. He was the last person to see her fucking alive! Yeah, maybe a few questions could have helped there. I don't know, but I get also lie detector tests also do nothing. No, they don't. Yeah, do anything. they yeah they do nothing. But that's the thing; they they can only hold them for what forty eight hours. I was speaking with Dr. Don Castaldi uh, for uh, a Patreon episode, and he said, "You know when a psychopath is lying on a uh, on a um, lie detector lie detect- test because you'll see it afterwards. So there'll be like there'll be a spike after all the questions, and they'll be like, how did I do?' Because they're so excited to like trick the lie detector test. So it's actually they de- they detect when someone's a psychopath afterwards based on how excited they are by the results. Whoa, so that's a little bit interesting. That's wow. interesting. That's how you game it, then I guess. That's how you game it. But that's a hot also- tip for you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> so disconnect before you be sh- before you show how thrilled you are for passing because you're a psychopath. Well, because. Nothing came of the polygraph test. Rodney Alcala continued killing. About a month after the murder of Jill Barkham, Rodney escalated again. Instead of luring a victim into a trap, it appears as if Rodney broke into someone's apartment for his next murder, a la Richard Ramirez. See, when the cops were called about a welfare check for a girl named Georgia Wixted, who hadn't shown up for work or responded to phone calls, they noticed that the screen was missing from one of her windows Hmm. and was propped up against a wall nearby. That doesn't definitively say that he broke into her apartment, but it's definitely a possibility. Mm -hmm. Or it's how he got out. Yeah. When they searched the apartment, they found the body of Georgia Wixted, posed just as gruesomely as Jill Barkham and killed just as brutally, this time in her own bed. Blood was everywhere, soaked into the mattress, splattered on the walls, and smeared on the toilet by the perpetrator while he was in the process of cleaning himself. Oh my god, it reminds me a little bit, and what do you guys think, like Killdozer, fantastic documentary. The guy who created the machine was like, they haven't stopped me. If they really wanted to stop me, they'd see what I was doing and they'd stop me. Do you think at some point he's getting away with all of this shit where he's like, I guess this is allowed? I do believe that there is a sense of invincibility that you get when you've picked been picked up by the cops several times and, and they just released. don't stop him. I mean, I think it's more uh, that they think it's instead of like, this is allowed. It's more, this is nature. They see themselves as tigers or right, bears right. or something like that. And everyone the else. The red dragon is, thing. Is, yeah, the red dragon thing. They see everyone else as lowly sheep. So to him, this is like, oh, this is the natural of order of things. Well, somewhere between 2.15 a.m. and sunrise, Rodney had broken in, subdued Georgia Wixted, and strangled her with a knotted pair of pantyhose before ripping her flesh with one side of a claw hammer, then beating her to death with the other. Rodney left behind more DNA and a palm print, but again, these clues were useless without the technology to match the former and an identifying print to link the latter. 
but I don't even understand how he should have had the identifying print. Didn't He's been arrested a, three times. Don't they have the fingerprints? They don't have any database to check it against. And, and like, if you just have a bunch of, if you just have a bunch of fucking cards, like you know, yeah. and he probably didn't have a palm print. He just had probably just had his fingerprints. Uh, we on need record. to split the difference between hellacious sci-fi Tom Cruise films and this. Oh yeah, yeah. isn't that sweet? Spot? I think that's <laughs> we, called 1999. Yeah, <laughs> we're close. We we are like technically we're closer than ever, which is what Marcus and I talked about. It probably really does lead to the reason why there's less serial killers oh, going sure. on and more mass shooters um but you know it it is rough yeah mm-hmm, absolutely rough. yeah but you know i don't worry apple's gonna fix everything they're gonna check our phones mm-hmm. don't worry they're gonna look into all our pictures wow. and make sure that we don't have a single bit of thought crime going on in <laughs> don't worry about it now rodney was questioned by police a few months after this murder but not in connection to any of the murders he committed instead rodney received a visit from the hillside stranglers task force oh it's a lot of cops going on God. at once yeah they took him off the suspects list after the interview because he had an alibi for every single night of every single Hillside Strangler murder, but they did arrest him for pot possession. <laughs> oh my God. All right. And how long did he got? And that's where he got 30 years. And that's the end of our episode. And thank God for the war on drugs. Although Very quickly released on parole. Very yeah. quickly released, Very which good. is insane considering how many people are still in fucking prison for a pot possession. And again, this guy's like just fucking... It's like hypocritical. It seems to be like they use it for other means. It seems like they use it to get other agendas across. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Looked different. He would have been arrested a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Three months later, Rodney killed a woman named Zafar Shah, then grotesquely posed her naked, bloodied body in the laundry room of an apartment complex in El Segundo. Jesus, so man! Because sometimes, especially back in the day when I had to go to the laundry room, that was in the it's building. It's a scary and stuff spot like to begin with. By the time mm-hmm. I'm there, I've already got like I got no clothes left. No, yeah. you know what I mean. Now it's a crime scene. Oh no. my I'll god! I'll never get to work again. <laughs> yeah, you'll never do laundry again, and that's the least of our worries here. He'd posed her on her back with her legs spread open towards the door, so the lewd display would be the first thing seen upon walking into the room. Her arms were bent back. Blood was splattered on a piece of wood nearby, and Rodney had bizarrely tied a sandal to a shoelace and strung it around the victim's neck. It's like childlike playing. Yeah. Now, at about the same time that Zafar Shah's body was discovered by some unlucky tenant, Ellen Hover's bones were found in a shallow grave just north of New York City near Terrytown on the oh. Rockefeller Estate, which is now a park where I walk my dog with my wife. That's Isn't what I like to hear. Amazing. Things do get better. <laughs> I had a great time in Terrytown. Brooke and I, we saw uh, Roger McGuinn. Yeah, that's there. nice. Also, yeah. me and uh, Ragnar and Holden once did mushrooms in that park. We had a great yeah. time. Oldest cemetery, or one day. of the oldest ones in America. That's where the Rockefellers are buried. It's yeah. all about making new memories. Isn't that nice? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, once the discovery of the body was made public, a young woman came forward and said that she'd had an extensive photography session with a guy named Rodney Alcala near the exact location where Hover's remains were found. And despite all this... Despite the fact that he'd now killed over half a dozen women, at least, and had tried killing a little girl and was now coming close to being a suspect in a murder in New York City, Mm -hmm. less than two months after killing Zafar Shah, Rodney Alcala appeared as a contestant on a nationally televised game show called The Dating Game. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where we'll pick back up 
for the conclusion to our series on Rodney Alcala. Yeah, dog, we got Jesus. some stuff on fucking the dating game next week. I'm excited to delve a little bit into the complicated world of Chuck Barris mm-hmm. uh, and what <laughs> his insanity. That's a whole side quest on this thing. It is, yeah. and then we will get into how Rodney Alcala oh. finally stopped for mm-hmm. his crimes, but he's going to do a lot more before he gets there. And how we take a sociopathy into the courtroom when he defended himself. Oh, yes. right. Very And the man who defends himself in court, he has a fool for a client. Indeed, he does. And a dumb shit lawyer as well, which is he. All right. Wow. I had no idea how freaking. Bri- I just, we've heard the story. And I'm like, oh, he's a killer. But uh, holy shit, that man is fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, It is interesting to see the ones that are quote-unquote not heavy hitters, like not the classic, Uh, quote-unquote classic, you know, serial killer classic, if you're going to use that in the Coca-Cola font. Sure. uh, Like that type of shit. It's because a lot of times the reason why they aren't the quote-unquote heavy hitters that we talk about all the time is because they were weirdly more successful at being a murderer. And they went for longer periods of time of not getting caught. And quite a bit of the time, they were not searching for attention. They were just trying to cause as much... They were trying to cause as much violence and and mayhem as they could. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's there's also with uh, what kind of killers are... Covered. There's kind of a sweet spot when it comes to how brutal the murders are. Like yeah. the reason, I think the reason why Ted Bundy is so, you know, it's so hugely covered because you know Ted Bundy is a good-looking guy. Rodney Alcala is a good-looking guy. It's not just the good-looking part. No, I think it's also that he had. Really, like, Ted Bundy's crimes can kind of just be papered over, and there's that one, like, gross detail. Like, he went back and had dead, and he had sex with the dead bodies oh, yeah, and put one. makeup on the faces and did their hair. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, there's the one detail. But it's Rodney Alcala... Gross. That's what yeah, I always say. Like it's super gross. gross. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Gross, or, Ted. Or there's got to be, like, a hook with Richard Ramirez. His, you know, his crimes Satanism. are really fucking brutal, but it's Satanism. There's that hook to it. And people like Rodney Alcala, it's just... And, like, and you know, Danny Rowling, for that matter. Like, it's yeah. just, it's so brutal and so yeah. beyond the pale uh, that it's impossible to talk about. And we talk, a about lot of mic- we talk about the micro of, you know, being shamed as a sexual assault survivor. And I suppose the macro in this case, too, everyone's just so embarrassed, perhaps. Law enforcement fucked up as a country. Do we want to live in a world where you can have someone like that even live? I mean, yeah. maybe no one wants to talk about the fact it's children that are being raped and murdered anyway. All right. Well, we will do, we will get to part two of this. Holy hell. Holy hell. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to think this guy should not have won that fucking dating game. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. All right. We'll get to it. Well, uh, thank he you is a banana. Yeah. So thank we'll you. All, thank you all so much for listening. Um, by our, we, do we have, by anything? the way, last prisoner project, yes. take a look at them. Pre-order our comic book, October 5th yes. at your local comic book store. Soul yeah. plumber. It is uh, on DC. Check it out. Uh-huh. And be sure to order that. Com- be sure to put it on your pull list either this week or next week. You got to put it on now to make sure that your copy gets ordered. So and make sure go to your local comic book store. You got to go this week or next week if you want to be guaranteed a copy. Guaranteed. Uh, this shit's going to sell out. So make sure that you reserve your copy uh, with your local comic book store yes. and spend and some also- more money while you're there. Yeah, come Reed on, man. Give man. it. It's it's, it's, there's more horrible ways to spend your money than at a comic book store. You can yeah. buy a bunch of bullets and distribute them at a school. <laughs> <laughs> so go and get comic yeah, books. And yeah, also, yeah. read this, Ice Cream Man, read Department of Truth. Have a fucking great time. It's fucking sweet. This Sunday, we have our mugshot roast. It is on twitch.tv slash last podcast network. Yeah. We got it is hosted I'm by the glorious ham that. boy, Ed Larson. Uh, Kissel couldn't find his mugshot. I got two mugshots <laughs> one with the DUI when I was 19, one when I was detained in the tombs, but they weren't felonies. 
So there's no mugshot, and I'm actually a little bit sad about Commit that. Commit bigger crimes, Kissel. And it is this Sunday, <laughs> the uh, September 12th, the National Hangover Day, I think we should start calling it. And uh, you go, it's starting 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and it's on our Twitch channel. And join us. We're doing it all for charity. We're raising money Absolutely. for Last Prisoner Project. And it is going to be a really good time. And we're going to see a lot of really horrible mugshots. Absolutely. And if you want a great insight into prison and why we need prison reform, I did an interview with Larry Lawton. And uh, it was just fantastic in the amount of abuses that individuals suffer at the hands of our monetized prison system is un not right and un-American. It is. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. My gustulations. Hail me. Yes, indeed. Let the girl go. Always. And don't go to JCPenney's if you want to have a nude family photo. If you want to have a nude Sears. family, yeah. <laughs> go to Sears. <laughs> go to Sears. And shoot for a private. <laughs> get that photographer because, you know, a lot of these photographers, they're sick of doing weddings. Sure. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.